far across the city, a bell began to toll. You're old enough to know that your mother and I were more than friends. There was a time when Cat was all I wanted in this world. The wedding party continues, thriving with activity. A podcast returns. Game of phones. Game of phones. Like Littlefinger, we have returned. I would say more so like Jamie. You, you, you've returned <laughs> to King's Landing. There were a lot of returns. If you haven't gathered, Littlefinger and Jamie both return. This episode of our podcast is devoted to returns. And brought to you by... Uh, <laughs> brought to you by Micah Tannenbaum's voice. Micah? <laughs> when all else fails. I, I... And bells. Brought to you by bells as well. Yeah, and yes. whistles. We mm-hmm. let the whistles the out. The bells are ringing, ringing, ringing. Joffrey in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, and in our hearts and in our minds. <laughs> Your voice is like a bell. <laughs> Welcome. Um, it's, it's September again. And this is uh, Game of Bones. <laughs> We're creeping steadily toward uh, our 300th episode, which is large and on the mark. As all of you are gathering, there have been whispers uh, and stirrings of what that episode will bring. 300, it seems like it's uh, so far away, um, but it's really not, no. right? Just a, a few episodes from now, we will uh, find a way to uh, to celebrate that 300th episode. And uh, we were discussing our 300th episode with our small council over the weekend, and uh, we meet <laughs> with this small council on a monthly basis. I don't know if that is more frequent or less frequent than <laughs> Kings and King's Landing meet with their small Certainly council. more frequent than uh, Robert uh, went to his. Can I just say I was, I visited a friend's activity, a, a film screening, and it was right after we met for the small council and I had to explain like why I had, it was coming at a certain time and I was like, oh, I had a small council meeting. <laughs> it felt very like. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Think awesome. about that. That's kind of, yeah. kind of strange yeah, to be able to say out do? loud. Oh, we hit up Denny's before we came here. Yeah. You know, we knew it was going to be a late night. We should get some yeah. fiber. Uh, yeah, I had a small council meeting, and yeah. we were talking about uh, our mm-hmm. upcoming 300th episode I can't and our show in New York. stay out too late uh, this Saturday night. I have a small council meeting in the morning. <laughs> so thank you, listeners, for helping that become a reality in my life. And for those of you who still do homework, you can now use that as, as an excuse. Um, sorry, Mom. I can't um, get to my homework. I have a small council meeting. True. Yeah, our small council though is some of our most uh, devout uh, patrons over on Patreon. They are the faith militant, if you will. <laughs> mm, um, I love that. But without all the crazy, <laughs> always look forward to getting together with them. They uh, always have some really great insights on the podcast. We bounce some ideas off of them. Uh, they spill wine over our heads. It's really a great time. And uh, as mentioned, we were talking about our three hundredth episode and what we might do. Uh, but something else also uh, got discussed, and and that was uh, some of this recent casting information. And yeah, uh, we talked Are about you guys excited? a Greyjoy being cast last week, but then not too long after uh, our episode was released, uh, there was another piece of of casting information, and that involved a Tarly. A Tarly, you say? Yeah. And I don't think the one people were expecting, to be honest with you. I mean, there's a lot of talk, of course, this season. Uh, about Randall Tarley, Sam's father, mm-hmm. uh, but this, of course, uh, surrounding Dickon Tarley, Sam's <laughs> younger brother. 
Dickin? Rhymes with Rickin. <laughs> Got it. That's an easy way oh, for us to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unsullied. Yeah. Okay. I think it was, you know, the the best part about when this news breaks is is having listeners of the show write in. And I believe it was our good friend Brienne who said he's he earns that name. For those of you who don't know that <laughs> character, the name is well earned. Um, awesome. And some of our crossover listeners via mm-hmm. MuggleCast made the Harry Potter connection because he also yes. played Cormac yes, McLaggen in the Potter films. Freddie Stroma, we're speaking of, of course. So exciting. This is just uh, such a cool time of year because there's so much going on, even though we don't have a show. And I know we talked about that on our last episode, that season six is far off in the distance, but in fact, it's being filmed right now. And all the different pieces of information that we've seen leak out over the course of the last several weeks and just all of these different nuggets of information that you don't really want to read, but you, you do it anyway, or you like slowly scroll through the page and you see that spoiler warning on watchers on the wall and they say, <laughs> turn back now. No, seriously, turn yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Go this the is other when way. it's happening, though. This is when the show is being made. The show is off. <laughs> That's a very creative way to say it. I mean, the show did end. Season five is over and we are mm-hmm. in this hour on season. And it's very fun, uh, let me just say, to be into the books because just like last week, our chapters this week are mesmerizing because there's so much I just want to speak specifically of and we'll get into it. Uh, Sansa's escape from Winterfell mm-hmm. or <laughs> from King's Landing and feeling so much more of the depth of that city. And it's just fun to me in three books and we're still learning uh, a lot more about that place, and I assume that we'll be learning a lot more as time goes on. But between Watchers on the Wall and Game of Owns, is there really an off season? This is a way to keep the blood pumping. <laughs> you know, new tagline for the show is there. Is there really an off season? <laughs> well, it's it's definitely exciting this year because the as the show becomes even more of a massive media phenomenon, pop cultural sensation. That's true. It continues to grow, and also this is uncharted territory, too. Maybe there are even more eyes on production because production involves things that that we've not read about. These leaks, or even just bits of information that HBO is saying, like the official casting information, when they they say this person is playing this here in this offseason, you'll see if you log into Facebook where we have conversations like planning stuff for our small council, which is usually the only time I log in because it's just, okay, whatever. But you'll be on there and you'll look in the sidebar and Game of Thrones news will be trending around the world. And it's just like, (laughs) all those years ago when we started this podcast, that certainly wasn't a reality that we even pictured uh, would happen. But it's all just happened alongside of what we've been doing this entire time. And for those of you that have been listening either the entire time or even through a piece of it, you're kind of experiencing it all with us at the same time. So it's it's neat to see something uh, that you love be in the midst of its zenith. Yeah. And and the news just keeps on coming. And, and it's a good word. this type of news, I think, that fans really look forward to. You know, of course, you have the show, but there, there, there is something cool about the off season, so to speak, where you're learning about who's going to be cast or where they're filming or what storylines could potentially come to screen. Uh, and, and so I think when you get news like a character along the lines of Dick and Tarly being cast, you begin to realize, oh, by the way, that must mean that we're actually going to go to Hornhill, which which is the seat of house Tarly, right? See this, that this castle? Is where 
the Tarleys live. It's it's just you're gonna have the whole Tarley family there, or at least <laughs> some most of them. Tiny though. Tim Tarley too. <laughs> That's Sam. You know what's fun? We just left it, and I, I feel like we're having this conversation again because I felt much this way after season four, and I think how we spoke. Just as season five was beginning, it kind of felt like there was no time between season four and season five. But now we're on the other side of season five, so we can't really say that anymore. We can't be nostalgic for the time period where season four and, and the following action from that happened. We're in the, the falling action of season five. Yeah. And so I guess my, my point is, we have this grace period between seasons to just kind of recharge our batteries for all of the energy that is put into living in a world where Game of Thrones is coming out every Sunday night. Mm-hmm. So we're charging up for it. The news is, is pouring in. And you're listening to this podcast. There is a uh, pretty major event coming up uh, related to this podcast where a lot of you all out there can come and, and hang out. Say hello you if you're in the New York City everybody. area. Yeah. You all, everybody. I want Eric to shine through. Acting like you. <laughs> Driveshaft will not be playing uh, at our event at New York Comic Con, but Hodor will be. Yeah, Hodor will be. <laughs> yeah. I thought Eric was doing his audition uh, for Broadway. Oh, no, 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 we no. We're going to be oh, so close. In Times Square. Uh, yes, no. N- no, maybe so. <laughs> maybe so. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. So as uh, Eric tries to uh, pitch himself for the next Broadway show, mm. Uh, out on the streets of Times Square. We will be inside the Hard Rock Cafe on Friday, October the 9th. We will be doing a live show there, <gasps> and uh, it's going to be fucking awesome. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. And I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm tempering the, the, the fucking awesomes just so that I don't scare some people I know. who also live um, within a couple floors of me. But uh, I think that uh, this is something that we're all just really, really excited about. The the opportunity to do a live show in New York City um, as part of New York Comic Con at the Hard Rock in Times Square. We have a very good friend of ours who's going to be joining us by the name of Christian, who you've heard from numerous times uh, on this show. Who else will be joining us? Who knows? I don't know, Zach. (laughs) Well, luckily we have... um like a green light coming up on this next week to spill a lot more details. If you will be going to New York Comic Con, you'll be attending and planning uh, an illustrious Game of Thrones, uh, Game of Thrones uh, costume slash cosplay. Be there. It is very important that you will be there. Mm. Uh, second, if you have dancing shoes, bring them. Uh, third, if you enjoy <laughs> uh, beer or or Game of Thrones beer, uh, or if you enjoy uh, all things Burioma Gang. Uh, please be there. Uh, what else? Uh, if you like the world of ice and fire and hanging out with people that are like you and, podcasts and making and friends podcasts. with, yes, a new podcast and making friends with people that are the kinds of people that are your people, just celebrating each other and having a wonderful time. Also, if you're interested in after parties, <laughs> lots of excitement. <laughs> uh, I can't really stress enough how fun this is going to be and how, how, Incredible of an opportunity it is for our podcast to helm this wonderful night celebrating Game of Thrones. And um, we want to celebrate with you. So join us. All the information will be in the show notes. And speaking of awesome events, Zach, I believe another one of our chapters is about to drop over on Patreon, chronicling our time down in Florida in excess of the David yes. J. Peterson stuff. In excess, in excess. Uh, I think is the word to go alongside it. Eric uh, used his phone 
turned sideways and captured a lot of the madness, as did I. I think, Micah, there was at one point we were standing near a window where a monsoon was uh, just outside, and the windows were, <laughs> were foggy and steamy, and we were Yeah, drawing. we were in the convention center. You and I were just staring out. There will be the a rain. monsoon in your lagoon. Exactly. There was quite a few of those uh, that came through that weekend, but yeah. uh, that's typical Orlando weather. So if you're interested in bonus content and supporting the show, obviously go to patreon.com slash goo. And if you're interested in, uh, well, there's really no other way, cool way to plug this, but we said a few days ago that the website would be launched, and I hope that you're listening to this episode on that brand shiny new website. Our new website does something that the other website simply couldn't do, and I'm particularly proud of this. I know we're all particularly proud of this, but, you know, Game of Owns has an on-season and an off-season, and, you know, we're talking about the show. There was even those uh, commentary tracks we did a little while ago um, for one of the seasons. Or, wait, two of the seasons? Just one so far. Yeah, for wink, one wink. of the seasons. And, you know, a lot of different diverse, uh, multimodal, I think is the right term for, well, it's mm. actually all in your ear, but there are some, eh, it's actually all in your ear. But anyway, um, there's just so many different things that we've done throughout our 300-episode run over the last three or four years. So that's all searchable, is what I was saying. And that is all categorized very, very, very neatly, very, very, very smoothly um, on the new layout. And people who are wanting to read, uh, like my friend Maggie, who just me- uh, messaged me the other day and said, hey, I want to really read uh, Game of Thrones for the first time, but I'd love a companion sort of podcast – uh, what should I do? And I myself wasn't sure, you know, what episode we started talking about it on, this, that, the other thing. That's all taken care of now. You can completely search uh, by chapter, by episode, all of that stuff, um, and read along with us again and again and again. So it's really kind of preserved the discussion and made it accessible for even people who want to go back again, um, mm-hmm. who may, maybe didn't have the opportunity to read along with us the first time. You can do that now anew. Um, and forevermore. Quote the Raven. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. That's ah, never that more. is nevermore. Never anyway, yeah. close enough. Uh, no, I, I think that uh, this sortability feature, if sortability is a word, not yet, uh, is is really really cool, and it's something that we've heard a lot from all of you that you'd love the ability to be able to go into the site and find really easily Storm of Swords, Clash of Kings, or, or season four, season three. And, and just listen through the conversation, and, and this allows you to do so in such a way uh, where it's all in one place for you. And, and I think that that is really cool because it's something that, you know, if I were listening to a literary podcast or, you know, an entertainment podcast or a combination of those two, which this is, uh, I, I would love the ability to do that. You know, I would love the ability to go through, you know, if I'm doing a reread of, of, of a book I know that I can just go there and as I'm going through chapter by chapter, I, I can just listen to the dialogue and feel like I'm a part of the conversation. And so uh, I really think this is something that the listeners are going to enjoy as much as we do. You can just go back. I will be going back using this new website and figuring out just what our reactions were to some of those major moments now that I can pick out what they were. Um, right. All the weddings, all the killings. <laughs> All of it. The bettings. <laughs> the we- the weddings and the bettings. There were high points and low points, um, and we kind of captured it all, remarking on it for the first time as unsullied and sullied both. So I don't know. I'm going to have a blast, but it's a big nostalgia trip, complete with just the finest, finest work, fully realized in a, in a really cool way. And of course, a Hodor-sized thank you to our friend Megan, who has <laughs> programmed all of this together. Uh, it's been an arduous journey, but we've made it. Yeah, just an amazing job. 
Definitely. She did. I mean, she's been helping us out a lot, but not just with the new site, with Westeros 101. Like, she's been a tremendous asset, a great friend to us. The goal here being to give you guys something that you've been asking for, which is an answer to the questions. When is the House of the Undying episode? Or when do you guys begin Clash of Kings? When do you guys end Clash of Kings? Well, there are episodes with uh, season discussion, recaps, that kind of thing. Episodes with special guests, David J. Peterson, Christian Nairn, Kat Taylor to name a few, Brian Cogman. Um, there are also episodes where we do chapters, and this is one of them. <laughs> it is. It is. Today we are following Joffrey's royal wedding. With the bells. <laughs> the bells have returned uh, for yet another king. And I think Jamie's reference to you know how many uh, pieces of the royal family have been killed under your watch when he's speaking to Sir Marin <laughs> was... <laughs> So funny. It's yeah. just before we get too much into it, they suck at guys. Jobs. So cool to have Jamie Lannister back in the capital because we didn't have his perspective. We didn't have the perspective of that kind of person, of the kind of man he is inside of King's Landing around all these people that essentially listen to everything he says. So yeah, uh, it's interesting. He reminds me of the the kid that goes off to college and and comes back afterwards and, and can't really be fucked with his hometown anymore. <laughs> 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 that's what he reminded me of it, oh, he, it, it's great. more than evident in the one quote and i'm sure we'll read it later <laughs> which which was very much uh oh, similar to the quote lady olena gives when she arrives just outside of king's land but what i really liked about these chapters was and we always find ways to compare them and 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 show in at least in some small way how they are alike and Really, uh, in in the first chapter, you have somebody leaving King's Landing, and in in the second, somebody returning. So, uh, if nothing else connects the two together, though, I'm sure we'll find other things. I thought that it was uh, interesting to say the least that uh, you really had those two different things happening, but centered around the same city in King's Landing. And Sansa is directly fleeing what has just happened to Joffrey. The last thing she saw was the clawing at his own throat before she turned and fled. And she wasn't the only one who turned and fled. No. Yeah, she had a little bit of company on her sort of, well, at least for the most part of her escape. Lady Tonda, who did not take back her nice and supple, tooled leather riding boots Mm. as a gift, escaped as well. Sansa made her way to a certain place where she had hidden a bunch of clothing inside of a tree it's really interesting to learn uh she's been having uh more than one conversation with sir dantos as of late and she knew that it was imperative to wear the the hairnet but like she had a cache of 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 clothes in this hidden location and she was told to wear dark you know dark clothes so as to not be seen she knew to some extent that her escape would maybe be paired with some sort of diversion. I, I don't know. I think it's it's reasonable to assume that she knew something was going down. But on the on the point of Joffrey being murdered, she didn't directly cause it. Uh, unlike everyone in King's Landing suspects that she does, um, and, and and everything like that, she actually did not know that this knight would have this one act. Uh, the the murder of the king in it, and it's so fascinating to watch her flee 
um, and to have the insight into her head of he's dead, he's dead, he's dead, because she, part of her wants to laugh and part of her wants to cry and those tears are part joy, part shock. You know, it's it's just, it's it's excellent to get this sort of payoff be, for her because it is revenge. Even though it's indirect revenge, the fact that Joffrey died um, at a wedding, you know, she connects that to Rob in her head. Everything that's going through her mind as she's running, as she's putting on her change of clothes, is a mixture of of joy and sadness, not for Joffrey, but for what she's lost. And sort of this hope that her knight, her Florian, will take her away from this. I'm glad to know that she was prepared and that she moved quickly. There's a point in the chapter where she's moving quicker and smoother than Sir Dantos. <laughs> she's carrying him to her escape. It's pretty funny. Well, he's also completely drunk. Yeah, yeah. Let's be fair. Well, that he's just doing his job, Micah. Yeah, he's playing his part a little bit too well, I would say. But <laughs> uh, it, it is interesting to get inside of her head here and, and see the mix of emotions, the range of emotions that she's going through. And uh, especially when she starts to come to the realization about the hairnet and the fact that one of these black amethysts from Ashai were missing and... The realization portion, as, as, as she comes to figure out, or you know, at least what she thinks has happened here, when she notices that one of these um, is missing, uh, she be, she reacts, I think, in a way that probably a lot of us would, right? Well, she fears that she was, in fact, complicit in, in this unknown thing, right? It's just like it says in the book, a sudden terror. And she filter. and she is, yeah. It, just not really, uh, it, sort of indirectly, she is, but. She wore the hairnet that ultimately uh, somebody plucked an amethyst from and dropped into the chalice of, of one now dead King Joffrey. There wasn't a lot of time for guesswork on the part of us, the reader. And this following chapter, you know, a page or two in, Sansa immediately grasps her hairnet and finds the missing piece, her fingers drawn to the place where it used to sit, like your fingers would be drawn to a place where your tooth is missing, which I thought was an interesting visual. To her, she almost thinks it as magic, right? I, I think what it is, is it's a, it's a learning curve here that she was sort of behind on, which is, I mean, she gets to it uh, much later in the chapter when she's talking with, with Littlefinger about songs not being true, about how none of it is true. But just hearing the way that Dantos described the hairnet uh, by calling it magic, she is almost silly for believing it would magically take her to where she was going. It did take her to where she was going, but through the fact that the amethysts are uh, poison. It was quick, though. Her thought directly mm -hmm. to the hairnet and the fact that there's a missing yeah, amethyst yeah, here it was just like, oh. must mean that it played a part in killing Joffrey. Yeah. But she's sharp. She's witty. And I think she took a lot of the context clues to heart, which was you need to disappear now. Uh, if you want to escape, you need to meet me in the God, Godswood tonight, which we find out later in the chapter is a message that she had received. So it's interesting to know what's been going on inside of the head of, of Sansa, I guess, Lannister at this point um, as she's escaping and moving steadily towards the Godswood and now a new change of clothes. Speaking of these clothes that uh, Sansa puts on, uh, one of the major pieces is a cloak. Not an invisibility cloak. Oh, damn, that, that would have done the trick. That would have really worked, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. But we got an email from uh, Susan Stacy, uh, who had a, an interesting theory that she passed along uh, related to this cloak. So just wanted to share it and get some thoughts here. Uh, she says, Dear Goo Crew, 
Uh, I really enjoyed your latest podcast covering the Purple Wedding. So glad you're back to covering chapters. There's an interesting theory related to a detail uh, in the chapter that you're covering this week that I wanted to bring to your attention. Uh, It has to do with the cloak that Sansa put on as she's leaving the Red Keep. Uh, While it is a dark brown cloak, there is significant evidence to prove that it is Sander Clegane's Kingsguard cloak (laughs) that he left on the night of the Battle of Blackwater. And she points to where uh, we can find that theory, and of course, uh, we will uh, we'll put that into the show notes so you can all take a look. The main point of the theory is that Sansa kept Sandra's cloak and reworked it with dye and needlework to become this new brown cloak she uses. The cloak in general plays a significant symbol as an item of protection and concealment throughout the series. Mm-hmm. One example is the way cloaks are used in the wedding ceremony. So this theory alludes to how Sansa views the Hound as a protector, is more interesting than I'm expressing here, so I suggest you all check it out. <laughs> I know <how> that is. <laughs> I, I think you did a good job there, Susan, uh, just in it Thank being you. of a protective nature. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I, I think this is uh, an interesting theory. Always good to uh, to get new ideas. I, I like it when we incorporate theories, because that was nowhere in my notes, where it was like, oh, that cloak was probably Sanders. Um, didn't even think about it, but now I love it. I love the idea. Well, it is a large brown cloak. We'll see, right? It is. I guess we'll find out. So now we are uh, in the midst of Sansa and Sir Dantos escaping from King's Landing. And as I mentioned earlier, right, Dantos is able but completely intoxicated. <laughs> Sansa has to do her best to uh, help him along as much as she is, as much as he's guiding her. She's really, you know, the, the physical support at times. Magic, I say. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's he's had too much wine, sloppy drunk. But with Sir Dantos, it's it's like you you like him because he has a real heart. But there's questionable motives as to whether or not he's doing it for the right reason. I guess it's like that makes him more like everybody. Exactly. Well, I think Littlefinger plays the hard fist of reality later on in this chapter to Sansa. You know, he says this this very romantic line when she's when she's thinking to herself. He's wearing that surcoat, and it's it's pretty it's pretty flashy. It's got red and pink horizontal stripes to me. The black chief bearing three golden crowns, the arms of House Hollard, obviously. So she asks him, hey, why are you wearing that? He says, I wanted to be a knight for this at least. And it's, you know, it's it's romantic. We feel for him. We feel for the guy that's risking his neck to, to, to do this. Yeah. Obviously, there's a significant level of romance when we think of his story and the fact that he was very nearly executed by Joffrey if it weren't for Sansa. I think it would be romantic to us, even if it, Sansa weren't the person, right, to have done it. Fit all of that into the fact that they're escaping right now, just after the king has tore out his own throat at his own wedding celebration, and they're they're going through this city that is very large and very grand, and that is basically being shut down. Tywin has roared, no one leaves the capital. Until we learn his true motives later, for a moment, he's a knight to us. It is. This is this whole thing is is very romantic. It's a midnight meeting. It's a midnight dash to safety. There's something about the rowing of the boat. There's something about water and and all of this that's very calm and peaceful after the hell, literal hell that Sansa has has lived in this whole time when she's been here. It's almost never been joyous for her. And, you know, certain things are brought up in this chapter. The fact that she may never have to sleep in a bed with Tyrion again. I mean, it really runs the gamut of, of sort of her emotions on, on the whole thing. It's, it's a rescue. The long hallway filled with the suits of armor. 
that had the rows of scales continuing down their back, and as they hurried past, the taper's light made the shadows of each scale stretch and twist. The hollow knights are turning into dragons. One more stare took them to an oaken door, branded with iron. He says to her, Be strong now, my jonquil. You are almost there. So Dantos lifts a bar, pulls open a door. This is all this is this is on the route of their escape. Sansa felt a cold breeze on her face. She passed through twelve feet of wall, which is a very thick wall, and she was outside the castle. They've made it, standing at the top of the cliff. Below was the river, above the sky. And one was as black as the other. This is the escape, right? It, this is what we've been waiting for for her for quite some time, right? Ever since Game of Thrones, ever since Ned had his head chopped off, and finally this moment is here, and she's getting away. And it's crazy to think how quick this has to be taking place. I mean, we we think in our minds that it's probably a pretty slow sequence of events but really you have to remember you you mentioned earlier Tywin is the city on lockdown basically how quickly all this needs to transpire in order for her to get out safely before she's noticed by somebody or before Cersei says that they need to find Sansa because clearly Tyrion didn't do this by himself if Sansa's missing she had a role to play Mm -hmm. and not only that but in the next chapter right we have the guy returning who swore to Sansa's mother that that he would return her safely mm-hmm. to her at some point. And yet, just in the that moment preceding Sansa's escape, right? The night before, she's she she's gone. And and it's interesting that that's how it was written, but really now uh Jamie doesn't have any any way to really live up to his promise, at least for the time being. I, I like that. I like to think that there was no way he could have lived up to the promise, just like he can't live up to Cersei's expectations to be the one who actually kills Tyrion. I mean, it's, there's just some things you can't do, and I don't think there would have been a way for him to send Sansa away so long as Joffrey lived because of that torture dynamic. Well, especially with her being married to Tyrion now, mm-hmm. his brother. Yeah. That certainly complicates the matter. That's right, too. But it, it is so interesting to think. I was actually just thinking when you are speaking, Micah, about Arya's escape from King's Landing, how it happened so much sooner, and all of the adventures that Arya's been on since. And knowing that, you know, from this point onward with um, with Baelish and Sansa, that, that things differ from the TV series, I'm really interested in seeing Sansa's mm-hmm. journey in the next couple books. Yeah. Um, you know, if it, if it isn't what we've seen on the show... Uh, then I have no idea what to expect. But if you just think about all the stuff that Arya's been through, I'm looking forward to seeing this character grow. Like, she's still learning. She's still growing. She's still coming to terms with the type of world that she's she's in. And I, it's it's still sort of a slow process for her to gradually begin to play the game. And there's some foreshadowing about that later. But the day, day will come when she can manipulate people and situations in the way that everyone around her has just used her to manipulate all lies everyone else it's 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 kind of fascinating i don't know because like she's still a very growing character and not that any other characters out there have like stopped but it's still pretty early on in her development i think into what her potential is and speaking of her development, there's that moment where she's getting off of one boat and onto another mm. and 
Dantos is is killed, and she asks herself the question: Had she escaped the Lannisters to tumble into worse? And I love that's that interior. a legitimate question. Yeah. It's 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 a real serious question that she has to ask herself. Yes, she has finally gotten away from King's Landing, but is being in this situation now with a completely untrustworthy person, despite however romantic and poetic <laughs> Peter Baelish tries to be at the end of this chapter. Yeah, he's, uh, he's pouring it on hard. Yeah, has she walked into a situation where Tyrion isn't looking so bad anymore and, and through Tyrion's protection, Joffrey and Cersei aren't looking as bad anymore? I know that's not the circumstances, but you have to ask yourself, especially for a character like Sansa, who seems somewhat tragic in nature, is, is she now in a more difficult situation than the one she left. Well, mathematically speaking, this is, I mean, if, if she hadn't have had a reason to leave, it's just so weird because the, they would have want, wanted to take Joffrey out, Baelish and Elena and whoever else was involved uh, in the book that we will probably come to find out anyway. But it doesn't hurt that Peter had his own motivations with releasing Sansa and with just creating discord in general in the realm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she does feel, and we learn through her head, as all this is happening, uh, partially responsible for what has happened. And I think that some of her guilt uh, is not only uh, for the fact that a person is dead, no matter how horrible he was, even though she knows that she is and should be at least partially celebrating what happened, but also for what will happen to Tyrion, because uh, Dantos tells her that he conveniently uh, has been accused of what has happened. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm, in her mind, she's assuming, you know, thinking of all the things that could be happening to him. It is so cool to feel the things that we've already seen in the show. And it's a darn shame that the nature of what we're reading, the tone, you know, these these several rungs that are carved into the side of the cliff as they're climbing down to the dock, you know, and, and the stuff that we read before, the passage through the city that makes it feel like so much more, and the, the whispered conversations between Dantos and Sansa. It's a shame that, you know, the show has to be captured in such a way to make it palatable for people watching it on a screen, like for it to be communicated through a camera, something like what's on the wall or how a glance toward this darkness or how rock feels like Mm. reflection of, of the moon on the water or the the way the oars dip into the water. I think it's a safe thing to say that the, the show that we do watch, the show that we do celebrate game of Thrones has done an incredible job communicating what is inside of this book. Definitely on a level leagues beyond where we've seen things like it and i think that it will be copied for a long time and i think that it will be referenced one day as a as a very cult phenomenon when we're all old i think game of thrones will be an important thing just judging by the kind of impact it's had now Mm -hmm. it's so interesting when you think about the story and you think about okay the first season came out i don't think anyone was expecting it to catch like it did and i don't believe it's just it's completely resting on the sensation of what happens. George crafted an amazing story, definitely. But just for the level of of detail and the attention to keeping it true to what makes a book good and, and the polish of the adaptation, I feel like it's almost a no-brainer. Everyone involved should have known they were crafting like a behemoth at that moment because how how can it not catch the attention of so many people? Like How can a chapter like this be translated into screen and not be celebrated. You know what I mean? Like it's set up for so much success already. And it's just, it's cool to see uh, all the attention follow it. Yeah. I mean, I, I just remember being uh, terribly uncomfortable with the way that Dantos died on the show. 
and to find out how closely it resembled the scene in the book is just like i mean my problem with it to be clearer was the ambiguous nature of why he was doing the things that he was doing but i'd I'd like to believe despite what littlefinger tells sansa that this was in fact his uh you know moment of redemption and ten thousand dragons may be a lot of money. Dantos was <laughs> a a person of convenience, and and really, if if you want to be truthful about it, and and this may be a bit of a unfair way to 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 sort of position the situation, but as soon as Sansa saved Dantos's life, it also sealed his fate. She bought him a little time. Yeah, a little bit of time, but I think this was always going to be Peter's plan for Dantos, and he's somebody that uh, is easily disposed of, and I think that I agree with what was just said, though, by the way. I do believe that Dantos really did want to see Sansa to safety, and, and I disagree a bit with, with Baelish saying that he sold you for gold, and when he's drunk... It yeah, up. Yeah, it like would, he, he would have sold you again. Wind, yeah, I, I think that there was a bit of honor and integrity, a bit of a knight inside of Dantos, and he saw this as, as his quest, and he successfully completed it. Unfortunately, the person that he handed Sansa over to is in many ways uh, just as bad, if not more so, than Joffrey and, and, and Cersei. <laughs> He's more of a tactical individual, right? He's he pulls the strings. He's the puppet master, but and and he shows it. I mean, oh man, does he show it in this chapter? <laughs> Even going as far as to talk about, you know, did your little lord husband enjoy my jousting dwarfs? Oh my yeah. gosh, that was a bit of an eye opener. I was like, okay, even the discourse between Joffrey and Tyrion was planned ahead of time, just in case. And basically, when she's confronting. Baelish, and, and he talks about not having a motive about how it's important to throw off your enemies because if they don't know what you really want, then they can't get at you. It's like, so wait, you actually went through all of this, set up a uh, an airtight alibi uh, for yourself and caused the discourse and, and basically my husband will be murdered uh, because of your actions here. And you're doing that just because you could or, or just because it doesn't there's no reason not to do it. Like it's just, it's unbelievable. And to find out that Baelish did something so bold um, for, well, what he says is no reason. Although I think in reality, he's just clearing the throne for one day when he himself wants to sit on it. I mean, the opportunity is here now to kill the King. Why wait a couple years when you can do it now? This is definitely the end of, of what I know Eric has over the course of uh, our breakdown of a storm of swords reference to constantly, which is this Florian and John Quill, Sansa's innocence, and seeing the rescue or seeing her eventual exit. We've definitely reached the end of a certain uh, point with Sansa. I don't want to say quite an arc, but I don't think that we'll be having those same thoughts that she had over the course of this last book. And I'm interested to know what's left, but he you know, tells her straight up, and this is a great, great excerpt from the book. Sometimes the best way to battle them is to make moves that have no purpose or even seem to work against you remember that sansa when you come to play the game she says what what game yeah the only game the game of thrones and then he goes into the creepiness <laughs> factor yeah. talking about cat uh, uh, but maybe that is where the justification lies you know he felt that the only way for sansa to be free of king's landing was to get rid of joffrey and, and uh, that may be for the love he had for cat 
but it also may serve another purpose altogether that we at this point don't know about, or we may never know. You know Ver, uh, Ver, I was going to call him Varus. Not far <laughs> off. Might, yeah, I mean, he, they are two peas from very opposite ends of the same pod, but <laughs> it's so cool to watch him work in a situation like this. And clearly we, we're not seeing this from his perspective. I mean, that would be an amazing chapter oh gosh, to go inside perspective. Come on his head and, and just observe, just observe. Uh, and, and I think that seeing uh, Sansa come into a, a situation now where she's going to have to live with this man for the foreseeable future, I'm scared for her. I, I, I truly am. I, it's not the same kind of scared I was when she was with Joffrey or Physical even safety. still b- being around the Lannisters. Because mm. uh, I, I, I just don't know what his end game is. And, and I think his end game is really, really, sinister. really fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> sinister. I have a feeling uh, like if we did get a Baelish chapter, it would be, everything but his dialogue would be question marks. So it's not I mean, just spoiled. I know he wants a ladder. Does he want to like do some painting? Uh, yes, what's his deal? It's a ladder. And he loves little kittens. See our connected social media for reference to that. Yeah, yeah. And it's transitions into um, a different period of what will become her experience. And... Just a, what a, what an interesting way to, to bring it on. And uh, when you look at the art behind it, seeing how the notes play, not quite just what's happening viscerally, but how just sort of beautiful it is that he's swung back and turns out to be him after all this time. And when you know all that he has planned, it's just puts it all into perspective and uh, leads you to believe that there's so much more to what's happening. I, I, I like that it was him. I like that. I mean, he's basically, when he talks about her playing the Game of Thrones one day, he's he's essentially almost volunteering himself to train her, you know, to, to basically for, for her to be his protege, for her to lead by example. It's kind of a very fatherly, he's like, he's inserting himself into the situation as sort of like a surrogate father, but also like a very much more apt at surviving person in this world in this world because he can play the game of thrones and by calling it the only game he's sort of really drawing her attention to the situation and how you survive in this world and we still have a few chapters left uh from sansa in this book which i i found interesting because this is a like a pretty compelling place to leave her but yeah. uh, it's cool it's cool to know that um there's more well her true night was really not that far off she just waited a little bit longer <laughs> or so they say you know, you can't really trust the word of a Kingslayer. Uh, this is the first Jamie chapter we've had since we've come back uh, in our on season, right? Yeah. And um, Zach mentioned earlier in the show just how great it is to be back with Jamie and to, to have somebody with this kind of a perspective. And it, he's such a interesting character because the chapter starts off with him sort of recanting how he's heard these stories about uh, his son being killed right Joffrey uh, for and, those of you who don't know yes and uh you know as he's passed through uh, i think it was these different towns and all these different stories that he's heard about how Joffrey really died but then later on in the chapter not to really jump ahead but he starts to think well i've got another son <laughs> <laughs> and it's like really that's uh, as bad of a kid as Joffrey was look that's your perspective on this? He threw Bran out a window. <laughs> yeah, Jamie's a hard. He does not like kids at all, as a rule. Jamie talks or thinks about how Cersei like never let him hold Joffrey. 
like as a kid. So so maybe there's that. Maybe it's how just would that it look? There was a physical separation between them that was always so distant because there had to be to protect the secret. Um, but then you also think of like I, I think of Bran, and I think about how in general, like even at the very beginning of the chapter, he's not sure. It, it even says something along the lines of if he could choose to have his son back or his hand back. Choose his hand, yeah. You know which one he'd choose, and it's not Joffrey. And and so it's it is a very I don't know, there's something about him. People view the the killing of one's king as like a very selfish act. We know it wasn't, we know there's more depth to that. But that doesn't mean that Jamie isn't a selfish character. Uh and a lot of what motivates him, a lot of what drives him in this chapter to see his sister, everything that he does when he sees her, everything that he does with his father. I mean, the big falling out blowout with Tywin, who expected that in this chapter, um, comes from him, Jamie wanting to, to he, he, he's going to do him. He, he's not going to play anybody else's game. He's in this mm-hmm. for himself. It is. It's either him or his sister, right? And, and it is, as much as you think he might come to grips with what's happened to his, his son, he's more focused on Cersei. He, you know, he says, she will be in mourning, her hair in disarray and her eyes red from crying, her mouth trembling as she tries to speak. She will cry again when she sees me, though she'll fight the tears. His sister seldom wept, but when she was with him, she could not stand for others to think her weak. Only to her twin did she show her wounds. She will look to me for comfort and revenge. There's just such an in- interesting dichotomy about Jamie, right? Because you see these moments where he's actually coming across uh, with Brienne in particular as being a decent human being. Right. But then you have moments like this and the ones you referenced earlier when he's talking about his hand or his son, that he can always make another son. He doesn't need... <laughs> he does. And know, he looks forward. Plenty. He's going to relish making that son with Cersei. But I, right. I think, too, like the poetry in the dichotomy exists in that the whole reason he missed the wedding, Tywin says to him again, getting ahead of ourselves slightly... That, you know, I, oh, I thought you'd be back by the wedding. Like, he went back for Brienne. And he, he, he goes to great lengths to save her, t- uh, even in this chapter, obviously, with, with um, Sir Loras as well. But, uh, you know, he, he goes to great lengths to sort of protect this woman. And that's a nice thing to do. It's not selfish at all. I like Jamie. I know that there's definitely some sharp edges to the person that he is, and a lot of it can be frowned upon, but it took the kind of cool-headed selfishness, if you could call it, to get through the the terrors that he got through from leaving Catelyn and Rob's grasps. So all that they, they, they met on the water to the... the the devastation of what the War of the Five Kings has led and just everything and between Vargo Hote. And it's just, it's amazing that he made it back and, uh, and that he's only missing a hand. Yeah. And Vargo Hote has met his uh, maker. <laughs> thanks to one nice, uh, Evander Holyfield moment from, uh, <laughs> or sorry, Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield moment from, uh, Brienne. Brienne. Yeah, I know it's fitting. I thought that was a very fitting thing. I heard the wound is festering. Uh, and it's creating a problem for him. I think he's he's experiencing what will be a slowly death. I believe his feet and hands have been removed, something along those lines. Yeah. So that's rough for old Vargo. What I, what I was interested in is all these other brave companions that have scattered. Uh, basically, all the different ports and other places have been notified. What what signifies you as a, as a brave companion? That's you know, it's not like you Ugliness. should have a passport or something. Yeah, did, did, did you buy the the t shirt? They all. I'm pretty sure they all have the same. Oh, I thought maybe they had like brave companion tattoos or something. That would be interesting. 
<laughs> the fellowship is broken. <laughs> Vargo's dead. I mean, do you think fly, you fools? I just had a stray thought. Does does the hound then get like Vargo's death then by basically having a bite uh, cause his like complications surrounding the bite wound? killing him i don't know i just said that random stray thought oh you mean did they take that particular yeah i mean we've yet to see from the books and give it to he falls off of a cliff die so oh and he also falls off the cliff yeah especially because yeah it it was brienne who did it right maybe maybe it was a little tip of the cap there yeah i see that well we've yet to see the hound uh die in the books so he's got enough problems that's saying or the show yeah oh yeah well there's that um i refuse to believe just for an update uh that the hound is gone until i see a body um, I love him. You all know this that are listening. I just want to re- remind everyone. That Hashtag McCann Watch. I miss Clegane. Can we talk a little bit about the line uh, that was very much spoken by one Olena Terrell or or, or some semblance of it uh, this past season, uh, which Jamie says upon arriving in King's Landing. Well, I I thought it was masterfully done. Uh, a Northman complains, what's that awful stink? Death, thought Jamie. But he said, smoke, sweat, and shit. <laughs> King's Landing, in short. If you have a good nose, you could smell the treachery, too. You've never smelled a city before? And he goes, I smelled White Harbor. and never stink like this. And Jamie's thinking to himself, ah, White Harbor is to King's Landing as my brother Tyrion is to Sir Gregor Clegane. <laughs> and the city seems completely normal, right? It it doesn't seem as if a king has just died. I kind of... I guess they've gotten used to that. Yeah, I think part of it is that they're used to it. Part of it is that they really didn't like their king, uh, clearly. But also it's that... By now, this happens every couple of years. Right. And now the, the devil, Imp, is in jail. All the rights will be, all the wrongs will be righted in yeah. the world. Because they also didn't like him all that much, despite what he did for them. Oh, Blackwater. I'm the so things you left us with. Like, even even in the Sansa chapter before, when she passes the, the house where the chain was um, yeah. in the boat, and it's just like, oh, man. Like, you realize he totally saved the city, and... I don't know, this Jamie chapter just really rings home to his feelings, the way he looks at I mean he says, My brother my brother Tyrion. It's it's his brother, even though he's heard the rumors that Tyrion cut open Joffrey's throat or that Tyrion poisoned him. <laughs> drank his blood yeah, from drank a big his gold blood. chalice. In every version of yeah. that story, Tyrion did it, and yet he's not willing to believe it. My favorite rumor is afterward it's talking about Sansa. Uh the dwarf's wife did the murder with him, swore an archer in Lord Rowan's library. Afterward, she vanished from the hall in a puff of brimstone, and a ghostly dire wolf was seen prowling the red keep, blood dripping from his jaw. So I'm a ghost is dripping so blood. Oh, glad you brought this up. I mean, let's let's think about this critically here for a moment. Could there, yeah, please, if this weren't just hearsay, if this weren't just like some crazy <laughs> ass story, could there be a ghostly apparition of a dire wolf that's like roaming around whenever? I don't know, just like the ghost of Lady or something? Could, is that a thing that we believe would be possible in this world? I don't think it happened, but this is yeah. a world where White Walkers and Hot Pie and Shadow Babies exist. So mm-hmm. you never know. It's very reminiscent of how Rob used to be described when he went into battle, right? Yeah. With Grey Wind and, and just you know, making the direwolf more mystical than maybe it truly was at the end of the day mm. uh it just reminded me of that reading that uh particular rumor uh passage from this chapter but the unfamiliar can be very magical this is true and uh remember that one one other thing that um 
stood out to me was, and again, this was a moment where Jamie realized that he probably should have been a bit nicer uh, to Brienne was when uh, we learn, of course, that Brienne has found out what took place at the twins mm. and the Red Wedding. And Jamie had this great line uh, that I, I wanted to read. And he talks about how every great lord has unruly bannermen who envy him his place. Oh, that's a really f- good line. It is. My father had the reins. Of course, we know the song very well. But and not Tarbex. the people. I'm sorry, I've forgotten how it goes. The Tyrells of the Florence. Hoster Tully had Walder Frey. Just one man. Uh-huh. <laughs> Only strength keeps such men in their place. The moment they smell weakness... During the Age of Heroes, the Boltons used to flay the Starks and wear their skins as cloaks. God. And then he figured that one probably pushed it a little bit too far. <laughs> this th- this chapter opens, too, obviously, with information of a major event transpiring, the royal wedding, Joffrey being killed, mm-hmm. and you, know, it, it, you see how different characters react. Obviously, in the last chapter, we had Sansa, we had... Dantos, we had Baelish. Uh, this chapter, we have Jamie reacting to it, and then even still, sort of within the subtext of what's going on, we learn of how Brienne is reacting to a major event. So, you know, catching up. It's it's it, it's it is cool to see how all these different characters are reacting to these major plot events that are that are that are happening uh, throughout the course of the story. Whereas maybe in the show you don't get the full context of that. You don't get sort of this many characters' well, reactions. Yeah, it's definitely not. Their insights. Yeah, so I, I like that a lot. It's a great byproduct of uh, sampling the original text. There is so much more, quite obviously, and it's exciting to know, you know how Jamie is thinking of Brienne after all this has transpired. And I, I, It's so good to know, and it's cool to see in the show because that was the first time. Obviously, we're just getting to it now. But it's it's a good feeling. It's like a small victory to know how well Brienne is being treated up until the point that she's not treated quite so well, but that she's being considered, you know, to uh, stay in the capital or he, he will get her uh, a, a passage to Tarth if she is pleased. So, you know, like it's it's all after all that they've gone through, there's a sense of relief that they've reached King's Landing. And and also a sense of the idea that that her purpose is is no longer right. I mean, her her journey their journey here uh, is pointed out to her. He, Jamie says to her that that they're they're there now, and she has no. I mean, they did it, and she can just go on now, do something else. And her line about basically having you know also promised to return Catelyn's daughters. Well, there's no Catelyn, and now there are no daughters in King's Landing anymore. And it's just, she's a knight without a purpose. She's a, a warrior without a master. And there's a, there's a lot of interesting questions about what. Brienne will do next and she's not sure she doesn't even know but yet you have somebody like Jamie who who really likes her and is is basically sizing up Sir Loras going you ain't shit um because he himself could not take her down and so you have this great warrior who but again is finding that the people that she served were were killed and I think that's probably a lot of what's going on in, in even though this isn't a Brienne POV chapter, a lot of what's going on in Brienne's mind when she's sullen, when Jamie looks over and is just talking about how uh, uncompanionable she is. Uh, you know, it's probably this big sense of regret of once again, she was not somewhere, um, although even with Renly she was, but there was something that she couldn't do to protect the person that she was working for, essentially. Did you like the subtle setup 
of Gregor Clegane's prowess in killing and in basically fighting when he compares Brienne uh, to Loras as a Gregor Clegane, but you know, as a girl without the size and probably without the smell. You know, yeah, yeah. It's like we know what's coming, and I don't know. It's just pretty massively done that he's been mentioned in an interesting capacity uh, in these chapters that we're visiting now. Yeah, I mean, I think he gets almost three separate mentions, right? Because he he does two when he's comparing uh, Tyrion to the mountain, then uh, here with, with Brienne and also later Tywin says it because uh, he says he sent uh, the mountain looking looking after him um, into the wilderness. That's three mentions of the mountain. You're right. It's pretty good foreshadowing. I would just love to to envision this as, as Jamie comes back into <laughs> King's Landing because the way that it's described, uh, 200 Northmen, a chainless maester, and an ugly freak of a woman at his side. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you wonder why people are being sort of rude to him until they find out who he is. Yeah, and and first he comes upon uh, some members of the city watch and and the king's guard, right? Sir Marin Trent. Uh, mm. In in a way, it's a very awkward homecoming uh, f- for him. But there's only one thing on his mind. It's we his, all know what it is. Get get to Cersei, yeah. And Jamie is now commanding again, but not in. A small degree, like we saw in his last chapter, where he had a little bit of respect. We're seeing it in, in its proper capacity here, especially with a brother of the King's Guard, of which he is Lord Commander. Uh, he says, Sir Marin, Sir Marin's droopy eyes went wide. Sir Jamie, obviously surprised. <laughs> How nice to be remembered. Move these men aside. It had been a long time since anyone had leapt to obey him quite so fast. Jamie had forgotten how well he liked it. Yeah, right? It's like about, he's back. About walking into your own job, like your old job. Just immediately. He's yeah. not wearing the cloak, but he's Lord Commander. Here he is. It's just, we forgot that. Not that we like literally forgot, but we've been inside of Jamie's head through dirt and shit for such a long time that, mm. you know, finding him back into the capital now without any discord and it being just sort of a normal day. The king's yeah. up there in a suit of armor dead, but, you know, everyone's still at work. It's a good experience oh, yeah. to get him to have been in a situation where the power was taken from him, all the power of being a Lannister, of having your, your family be the ruling family in King's Landing, which he's experiencing now. Um, you can't all grow up like Harry Potter, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's true. So you get these little side excursions, which, you know, may cost you your, 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 your sword hand. Um, but ultimately, and Cersei remarks later that, that he is, he has changed. There's something almost fundamentally different about him um, or pretty heavily different about him, pretty, pretty apparently different about jamie now and aside from just the physical aside, aside from the physical um yeah. so that's kind of cool to sort of think of and ruminate on there's a lot of layers to his character that he's added over the time that we've had with him inside of his perspective but if you go back and listen to those episodes i think just with with our discussion not that our our dissecting of it is of any masterful level but just simply reflecting on the things that he's going through, I feel like we can sort of passively gather the kind of person that he's becoming and we'll feel that with him from now on because we've gone through it with him. Perfect example of that is the interaction he does have with Loris um, when he accuses Brienne of, of murdering Renly, which I found a bit comical just because he's somebody who is now a member of the King's Guard, sworn to protect now Tommen, uh, who is a Lannister, and of course Renly is somebody who has, uh, who was, uh, you know, opposing and and threatening the rule of the rightful King Joffrey. 
so he's letting his he's really letting his emotion and his and his his love for Renly come through here and re- completely overtake and and maybe that's just because of the moment maybe that's just well, because yeah. he is so young but you know he's supposed to be a sworn member of the king's guard he's not supposed to be you know looking to avenge a love lost imagine seeing the person right up that was the person you thought killed the person you were in love with yeah. he goes you <laughs> You. <laughs> there are no other words for it. <laughs> That's a. It's just a. It's it's kind of like a six fingered man situation, but instead it's just right, here we are, right up. You know, let's just just paddling padding up on on top of a steed next to Jamie, which is just all of it so disarming, completely unawares. And I wish this scene would have been adapted to the show because I don't know. I got one of those nice prickling goosebumpy feelings seeing these two characters meet after such a long time and knowing what has transpired between them indirectly just to see them sort of face off was another one of those like, Ooh, we never get payoffs like this. And I'm sitting back with popcorn. The line that he has though, uh, just before he ends that conversation with Loris, I laughed. Is that wrong? Uh, no, Jamie. Jamie understands the he subject. Had, like, here. A really good zinger. Yeah, it's like, you're talking about the find a hole that he hasn't yet. He'll poke you in a hole that he hasn't left found. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's yeah, yeah that's quite bold. Yeah, it's it, it's bold. It's but Jamie knows what's really going on here. I mean, ultimately, this is not something that you should even bring up to the brother of the queen to a Lannister at all, because Renly was a traitor who opposed the crown, and the killing of a traitor is rewardable. I mean, Brienne could conceivably have been at Jamie's side and he could have awarded her all this wealth and gold right in front of Loras and Loras would have been expected to not have any reaction at all except praise for this woman. It wasn't like that at all. Like, she's in shambles. She's wearing different pieces of clothing from wherever they could scrape together and she's not sort of being paraded around at all and yet he calls her out and is forcing his emotions on her and and that's not that's not right so jamie gets it jamie knows exactly what it's about and he's able to fortunately for now put put an end to it but it's almost because of the force that loris has that he you know still needs to uh, commit her to a cell you can't discount his passion though he believes no matter what he's sworn to because of politics like Mm -hmm. this is true humanity coming out of a character he believes that brienne killed renly so if anything, this was mild compared to what he should have done um, if it were to be true. I mean, it's not like her story makes any sense. A shadow that looked like Stannis killed Renly, and it's just he doesn't believe it at all. Right. Not not at all. But it was Loris. It's Loris himself who fought the Battle of Blackwater in Renly's helm and is said to be the ghost of Renly come back to normal. So I or come back to life. But he's not the ghost of Renly. No, he's they not. Just, but, but they did that, that as a tactic to, to no, scare people. But knowing that these things have real explanations, and but yet how quickly they can become attributed to the supernatural, to the paranormal, I don't know. You'd almost think he would cut her a damn break. No, that's not where his mind's going. If anything, the fact that he rode into battle wearing Renly's armor does nothing but illustrate the fact that his passion in this moment uh, was a bit too guarded. I yeah. think that... If, if, you know, he, he really did love this person. They really did have a real connection. And I, I know if it were me, I would have definitely been upset as well. And, uh, you know, Jamie definitely saw that, like you said, and uh, respects the, the, the role that Loris has now. I mean, he is a Tyrell, obviously, of Highgarden. So there's that. But also, he is, uh, he is now a sworn brother of the Kingsguard. And, and um, like you said, Jamie goes right to work. And um, no matter what they've been through, it's just like immediate respect for what's happening 
Like, he doesn't quite know either, but he just knows that Brienne's not the type of person to kill someone that she's so fond of. Like, he knows that's not the kind of person she is, and he believes it enough that this, her being sent off to a tower cell is sort of like, for division and mathematics sake, the best circumstance, you know, the best thing that he can figure out between to keep everyone happy and keep everything all right. Right, and unfortunately, she ends up in a tower cell led to by... Sir Balin Swan, who I think is probably one of the only respectable members currently of the King's Guard that has been there for a period of time. I mean, you think through, and I'm not saying Loras isn't respectable. I think he just needs to prove himself a little bit uh, over time. But just, He only has a page. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just looking at others like Marin Trant, and uh, we're about to meet uh, Sir Osmond Kettleblack, who is just a complete dote. Uh, you know, he thinks that, or he jokingly says, but I think in in some weird way believes that when he talks about, when he refers to him as Tyrion. It's kind of like someone being sarcastic, right? He's like, oh, well, you're supposed to be in jail, my friend. But I think it goes back to speaking to the quality of somebody who is a member of the King's Guard. Right. Uh, the fact that he would even treat somebody at all uh, in in this capacity. And, and yeah, so... The, the interaction between the two of them goes like this. Her grace is in mourning, and why would she be wanting to see the likes of you? Because I'm her lover and the father of her murdered son, he wanted to say. Who in the seven hells are you? A knight of the king's guard, and you best learn some respect, cripple, or I'll have that other hand and leave you to suck up your porridge of a morning. Oof. I'm the queen's brother, sir. The white knight thought that funny. <laughs> Escaped, have you? And grown a bit as well, my lord. Her other brother, Dolt, and the lord commander of the king's guard. Now stand aside, or you'll wish you had. And then just the next sentence. The Dolt took a long time to really process everything that was going on. But yeah, they're not the uh, smartest of uh, individuals, it seems. I like that he straightens up when he learns that it's Jamie. He like fixes his posture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jamie's on a mission again to see Cersei, so he very quickly takes this man's embarrassment and uses it for basically to ensure the privacy that he and Cersei have by commanding him to bar the doors, essentially, like let him in yeah. and not let anybody else in. So it's 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 useful to see how um, how Jamie utilizes this situation and doesn't necessarily make a later note in his head because we've got his interior monologue. Doesn't make a note to like find this guy and you know have some kind of repercussions later. He just immediately uses his free free pass to get inside and bar the doors. Power is power. And we've seen Osmond Kellerblack take uh, what power he has, for example, guarding the Sept as the mm. Queen is inside mourning, to just be the kind of person that doesn't really deserve a station, just kind of be a butthead, which is a little bit disappointing because, you know, I don't know, you'd expect a little bit more. But, yeah, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. I mean, you just I, what you're saying, Zach, he just... I, this one has the pleasure, has the honor of being Osmond Kettleblack. Where, what honor is that? Like uh, Jamie thinks it's 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 pretty funny. So we're here, the meeting of brother and sister, twin Lannisters, mm. over the body of their dead, murdered son. First thing that that comes to mind here, though, is clearly there was a a very big outcry uh, during the show, a bit of controversy uh, on, on how this scene was adapted. And uh, now that you have both had the opportunity to read it, yeah. uh, you can understand why. Because I can completely. Yeah, it's it's much more 
complicit between the two of them, much more consensual um, than was portrayed in the television show. And so um, I know that that got uh, a huge response uh, from a lot of people, and, and, and rightly so. But look, that's why the show is a show, the books are the books, and yeah. here we are. But just definitely worth noting that, uh, you know, there was that major difference. Would it have made as large of an impact if it were adapted as the canon? No, because people would have complained about the fact that they were having sex next to the body of, of their recently right, that's deceased son. That's controversial enough, right? Or as opposed not to as contra- her being yeah, raped. Not as controversial as like her being forced into it. Yeah, right. this is a, it's just, it's such a, it's it's weird. And I, I think back to how Sansa was portrayed, uh, her situation with Ramsey in this past season, but mm-hmm. you know, it's a shame. It's a shame that that's kind of, I don't know. It's just a shame. One of the key differences here just to point out is that Jamie in, in the books is returning from having been gone for a really long period of time. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the show, he was already there. He was at the Royal wedding. Right. So the circumstances under which all of this happened are a little bit different. And I think that there was definitely a longing between the two characters as, they see each other for the first time in in what has been you know over a, over a book uh and and a half so that that's no no way excusing what they're doing no if anything it was set up to make it worse because this is you know a very strong moment between the two this first time they've seen each other in a very long time he's gone through so much and now they're collectively going through so much with the body of their firstborn right there not to mention uh, like I said, the the time that they've been apart from each other and all of these things piling in and knowing so strongly, especially built up in this chapter, that they are each other's rock, that yeah. they are each other's person uh, where they're able to be themselves and confide all that they can without worry uh, to someone else. And so you know, the way that, the way, if anything, it, it has just built on the point that everyone raised, and I certainly feel different about it now uh, having read the chapter because, like you said, he's there. She's not wanting him in that way in the show. After, Like you said, after the wedding and after all the time that they've spent there, post-conversations that we saw even. But here, this is just, they've, they've seen each other and, and everything goes out the door. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's definitely a different. a different situation to read than to watch on the show. But uh, I, I think it goes back to what we said earlier, that there are clear differences between the two. And so while the show chose to go in one direction... Clearly, uh, it's it's different here in the books, and it's not the focus. There's a lot no. of conversation. Yeah. There's a lot of you know, learning about what's going on with Tyrion and feeling the passion from Cersei and, and you know her sort of confiding, like you'll kill him, won't you? Like she, they essentially go right into the swing of things. She tries to to convince Jamie that uh, Tyrion did this, and she quotes that line yeah. that uh, we saw used at the trial uh, in the in the television show, one day when I thought myself safe and happy, he would turn my joy to ashes in my mouth. And and that really seemed to strike a chord with Jamie. He was pretty shocked that Tyrion would say something like that. But at the end of the day, he still says, look, he's my he's brother. My brother. Yeah. And he, I think deep within his core, he believes Tyrion to be innocent and, and can't really comprehend that that he would do something like this and there is another line uh in in this sequence of events that i thought was really important because it does lay some groundwork for uh information that 
is uh, revealed later on in in this book, actually. Uh, and it's when it's it's an internal monologue with with Jamie, and he's saying, "I was good to him, well, but for that one time. But the imp did not know the truth of that. Yeah, or did he? Mm. Why would he kill Joff? It's coming. So." <laughs> We do find out what that is in reference to. Oh, that's good. Uh, we don't need to go into it right now, but I uh, just thought uh, good to point I mean, that for, out. For Cersei pressuring uh, Jamie right here to kill Tyrion, to essentially the guards will let you go in, you should just kill him now. And he says, I mean, the, the closest he gets to consenting is, I must know more of this, of how it happened. It's like, look, if I'm going to kill my brother, even with my bad hand, I need to know more. And of course, that gives Cersei an opportunity to talk about the trial, but it's it's a good it's definitely a good um character moment for Jamie to be caring more for the life of his brother than he than he cares for like avenging his oldest son. Yeah. It's just he loves his brother. <laughs> and then we know what starts to happen after that. But pretty hot. Read the books. <laughs> Read the books. But a lot of information, as was mentioned, um, as this is all going on, right? It's not just about Tyrion, it, it's about Jamie and Cersei and their relationship and how he just wants to come clean with all of it. Mm. He wants it to be public information. He doesn't care anymore. He's, he says that, you know, Tywin can sit the Iron Throne and, and Tommen can come with us to Casterly Rock. And, you know, it's... If only, Jamie. That would just make things a lot easier. And If the set had caught fire... I might never have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> That's a typical Jamie line. Afterwards, when they're talking about it, he says things like, I crossed a thousand leagues to come to you and lost the best part of me along the way. It's just that any he's he's really more than once showing her his 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 missing hand, his cut off hand, his wound here, because he, he I guess there's part of him that worried that that, that would matter to her. It matters to his father. Yeah, that's true. But it it, it just in in general, Jamie is securing his sort of emotional core again in in her. Um, so interesting that when he first walks in, he notes how she didn't walk towards him because she always made him walk towards her, and that that hasn't changed. So even though she says he's a different person, there's a certain dynamic between those two where they still rely on each other for certain things. So much subtlety now. We go from him in, interacting with his sister to him interacting with his father. Just zinger after zinger. This chapter has turned into uh, very, you know, it's very special, the amount that we're getting. And Tywin doesn't disappoint. No, he, no, he doesn't. I mean, we're talking about great writing. I mean, just when Jamie first walks in, uh, it says, Jamie, Lord Tywin said, as if they'd last seen each other at breakfast. Like, you're talking about <laughs> Tywin who knew this is his favorite that Jamie would be coming back and so but then there's also this just general detachment uh that there is that that exists between the two of them he's such a strategist like nothing can surprise Tywin um he just like oh Jamie you're back well I don't think he saw the wedding coming right yeah that was that shook him up a bit but it looks like he's back on his game right. maybe that has a little bit to do with his coldness toward his favorite child but I'm not sure quick recovery time you know, for, for, for Tywin, Cersei is nowhere near that level of acceptance. But, you know, I mean, Tywin is always the tactician. He has backup plans. He has ideas, as we find out through this conversation about what, what weddings will, will befit 
each of the people, each of his family members, and the Tyrells. I mean, he's he's really got it all figured out. It's shocking how many backup plans this guy has. Yeah, well, clearly his sources are all in the right places because he knows Jamie's coming thanks to Roos and his raven. Thank you, Roos. Right? Roos is raven. Thank you, Roos and your raven. <laughs> and Varys is giving him very important information. Uh, he clearly had people that were inside of the Stark camp uh, who mm. were passing along information uh, not too long after Jamie escaped. And uh, it it just shows you sort of the lanes. It, it, it's interesting that last chapter kind of ended with, with Baelish and this one does with, with a small mention of Varys, but it just shows his reach, right? He's not limited to King's Landing, which we obviously knew, but here we actually get to see it implemented in some capacity where uh, the information that is being passed along is is accurate, right? Yeah. Surprising to find out, though, that Tywin didn't know of Jamie's hand and mm-hmm. didn't know who did it. Right. It's just... I don't know. That's something. It's that's, that's a big. Send the Raven, man. Yeah. Well, I. What, do you think maybe they worried about retribution? Absolutely. Which, luckily, I mean, for for the Lannister camp, it's like, oh, we already maimed and took care of that person. Clegane found <laughs> Hote sitting alone in the Hall of a Hundred Hearths, half mad with the pain and fever from a wound that festered his ear. I'm told. So it's like that. He's already sort of been taken care of indirectly by you, but we were planning on taking him out anyway. And we definitely would have strung him up by his big toe if we found out about this. We would have gotten the <laughs> Boltons involved. I mean, they're in our camp now. So, I don't know. This happening uh, to uh, to Hote in this way and Tywin finding out in this way, it's, it's kind of disarming a little bit when you you know learn that this is the way he's found out about it. And Jamie's laughing because he found out. He, it says, too sweet, his ear. Like, he's cheering. He could scarcely wait to tell Brienne, though the winch wouldn't find it half as funny as he did. Is he dead yet? Tywin says, soon, they've taken off his hands and feet, but Kagan seems amused by the way the Kohoric slobbers. Mm, too bad. Too bad he wasn't in the show, because that just would have made a comical character. <laughs> I guess a bit, yeah. That slobbering. But, but I mean, Jamie, Jamie makes a uh, point with both with Cersei and with Tywin to tell him who did it. Um, you know, it's not the Starks. Everybody thinks it's the Starks. It's not the Starks. It was his Vargo nope. Hoke character. And there's, so there again, it's just with his honor. I just quick point I wanted to make about he's he's being upfront about who did what to him, and I think that's pretty important because you could blame it on the Starks at the end of the day. I mean, what's, well, of course. what's one more charge against them? Uh, it was in their camp that he had a knife to his throat. He says, but it's just it wasn't them. They weren't the ones who did this to him. This was just the price of living in a world so violent as as the one they live in. It's a shame that Tywin Lannister like. We can get a little bit of, little bit of respectability on his end when he finds out that Catelyn, you know, was the one who was responsible for Jamie actually leaving. I mean, he's yeah. also the one responsible in part for the way Catelyn died. It's like, oh damn, yeah. would that have changed things at all if he would have known personally? Maybe he did know and it didn't matter. Yeah, he he just doesn't care. I mean, as you sort of read through the end of this chapter, it's it he set everything the way that Tywin wants it to happen right he's he's got this plan in place he knows what he wants to do with Tyrion. he knows what he wants to do with jamie he knows what he wants to do with tommen he knows that you know he wants to bring the tyrells back into the fold and marry him off to uh or, or sorry marry jamie off to marjorie uh it seems like this this grand plan that tywin just 
wants to execute and he's not hearing anything else about what anybody else has to say. Yeah, well, there's a lot of stake here. And to him, he's doing what's necessary to continue to have leadership over seven kingdoms rather than thinking about the intricacies and the soap opera and of his family and uh, the people that are in charge. So it's it's an interesting balance as the story has been throughout um, in this Game of Thrones of what's inside of a character and what's at stake geopolitically. And um, obviously we see what happens when he dies. Uh, you can say that for the sake of business, he's doing absolutely the right thing almost at every turn. Like he has learned what to do and he is executing it properly. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. And it, I can almost hear Charles Dan saying the words, he stands accused of regicide and kin slaying. If he is innocent, he has nothing to fear. First, we must needs consider the evidence for and against him. It's, it's so procedural. It's like, it doesn't matter that it's your own son. You're, you're going to go ahead and you're going to put him on trial. And if he's innocent, he's innocent. If not, well, then we'll have to figure it out from there. But uh, for everything down to just talking about how he's going to find a way to release Jamie from his vows of being a member of the Kingsguard. Right. Like, he, like these are things that not didn't just like pop up into his head when Jamie showed up, like he was, you know, they had just seen each other at breakfast. Right. Mm-hmm. You, mentioned that earlier like these are things he's been thinking through over the course of the last probably several months right killing it tywin a-okay job of being hand of the king you're pretty good at this <laughs> i feel like we've seen a lot of you inside of jamie and Tyrion. yeah at, at least being the like the best head of your house that you can be i mean i don't think anybody does it better than than tywin um, do you think he likes his children yeah We've I don't never, know, he's pretty no. choosy about the days. It's like a flip of a coin whether he's going to say, you're not well, my son. he doesn't like Tyrion. <laughs> he's got a lot of pride. We've not, we haven't gotten to know him. I, I, I can't, I'll, I'll reserve judgment until his final moments on that privy. But even in the yeah. show, you know, he's just like, you won't. You know, it's like it's a little bit of softness. But again, even if, if this is how I die, I'm not going to go soft beforehand. So I don't know. Right in, ladies just, and gentlemen. What do you think about Tywin? All over Cersei, though, in this chapter, he shits too. gold and uh, Littlefinger <laughs> mints it. <laughs> he, he he says that he wants to pull Tommen away from her. Uh, you know, for starters, first of all, uh, that, that and and he says it's foolish that she dismissed Barristan Selmy. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Well, that effing was, was. <laughs> but a suitable gift to the faith will persuade the High Septon to release you from your vows. Mm. Mm-hmm. Again, corruption in the faith hinted at there. Hint, hint. And this chapter really comes to an end with Tywin and Jamie disagreeing, but Tywin ultimately telling Jamie, "Fine, <laughs> if you want to be a member of the King's Guard, then go be a member of the King's Guard, and you're no longer my son." L- listen to this, and then there it is again too. Sometimes he says, "You're my son." Other times he says, "You're no longer my son." It's fifty-fifty. But this temper tantrum that Jamie throws, by the way, it's it's it sounds great, um, narrated by Roy Dotris on the audiobook, but. He says, oh, man. he says, no, 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 no. How many times must I say no before you'll hear it? Oberyn Martell, the man's infamous, and not just for poisoning his sword. He has more bastards than Robert and beds with boys as well, and if you think for one misbegotten moment that I would wed Joffrey's widow, like, she can die a maiden as far as I'm concerned. I don't want her, and I don't want your rock. He calls it don't your want rock. Your rock. It's, it's not our rock, it's your rock. And it's so teenage you know defiant storming up to your room kind of thing almost from from jamie and it's it is so interesting having that gone through a lot but Mm -hmm. but it's hard love i mean Tyrion is 
Tywin mentions he has a gift for him. We know what it is. Um, but he sure tells do. him to hold off because he does. He can't be <laughs> fucked. He doesn't care. Go do your duty. But I mean, again, like the idea that he would marry Cersei to Oberyn um, just to like solidify alliances. And this is what this man does. This is what this man lives for is to basically work and, mm-hmm. and build a dynasty. This is what it takes. And it's amazing how no matter who you kill, Tywin just comes back and has a new plan that's going to involve, you know, it's almost a, a demotion, unfortunately, for Marjorie to marry someone who's not the king, but the king's uncle. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's just something that's going to prevent the houses from warring. That's Jamie fucking Lannister from Ginelli. <laughs> well, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. Everyone it is listening. time for Owens. First, we have to go back to Sansa. Hi, Sansa. I will give mine. Okay. First, uh, I give it to one Peter Baelish for his line, a bag of dragons buys a man's silence for a while, <laughs> but a well-placed quarrel buys it forever. Yeah. Also, a bag of dragons uh, would be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of the uh, Triwizard Tournament right now, the first Yeah, desk. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Bag just of a bag of them. I mean, the Chinese fireball. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll give my own to Oswald. Shh, wait, I mean... Someone that we don't know. Mr. Kettleback in the boat canoeing uh, with the oars. And God damn it. That was my Very exact... sharp on the uh, orders for silence. Uh, oh, okay. Kettleback vodka. I'm going to give it to him for silencing the oars themselves. Um, you know, uh, and I think he has that line too um, that sound travels over water. And I don't it know. Does. Who, whoever this guy is who manages to survive, no names. And also, honorable mention to Sansa for thinking ahead when they were climbing down the cliff. It was like, hey, he's, he is pretty drunk. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to make him climb down first just in case yes. his big ass slips and Safety first. knocks me down. Yeah. So good on you, Sansa, for thinking ahead. Yeah. Yes. All right. And then for the Jamie chapter, uh, I'm actually going to give mine to Steel Shanks. Mm. Uh, it's when Jamie the consummate is still shanks fretting. He he's a, he's really uh, upset when uh, he says a line. They do not know me, and Steel Shanks replies, "Your face has changed, and your arms as well. And they have a new Kingslayer now." Yeah, mm. that was slick. Kingslayer brothers. I'm gonna give my own for the Jamie chapter to Karma for killing Vargo Hope. <laughs> Pretty simple. This is a difficult one because I I loved a lot of things about this chapter. This Jamie chapter was special. And it's, like I said, it's just cool to be in his mind. And in this place, uh, I thought Sir Loris was dependable and strong and passionate, which I loved. Um, I also thought that the Mr. Kettleblack outside of the Sept was just, just really relishing in his duties. And uh, I thought that was just not only comical, but just, just for him to have that sort of job was pretty interesting. So good on him and uh, for being of such good humor to deal with someone rather than just... Uh, he could have been a lot worse, I think. So being funny, I thought it was pretty hilarious. But <laughs> I think I'm going to have to give the own to the Lannister twins for <laughs> finally meeting each other after that long. Uh, it was a long time not seeing the person that they care about the most, and uh, it was an explosive meeting, to say the least. Definitely. I like that one a lot, too. <laughs> I like it as well. And I think uh, there might be a listener or two that agrees with you. Uh, we, of course, asked for Owens, and you obliged and sent them in to us. Over on uh, the Twitter, we heard from Two Parts Rye, who says that their own goes to Sir Osmond Kettleblack for the Do Not Disturb sign. If the Sep's are rocking, 
dot Whoa. dot dot. Vlad Tudor on Twitter. Ona Peter for that speech to Sansa at the end of the chapter. Uh, hashtag creepy finger. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new one. I like that one a lot, actually. It's a, a really good one. <laughs> Gary Mattis writes in to say, this Sansa chapter reinforces the respect I have for Littlefinger and how he's playing the game. Littlefinger owns the Game of Thrones. Hashtag mm. the only game. He did say yeah. that. He's doing all right. He did. Steffers says a thought. Sansa wants to be brave like a lady in a song. One day there will be a song about Sansa Stark leaving King's Landing. Yes. So Ooh. true. That's awesome. But it'll be all false, yeah. except for the fact that she actually did leave King's Landing. Maybe it'll be a true account one day, depending on how this all you know works out. Maybe she'll have like Thomas Sevenstrings will be working on yeah. it with her. You know, it could be Steffers cool. also went on to say that own for the Sansa chapter goes to Dantos for the heartbreaking line, I want it to be a knight oh. for this at least. And Poor for thing. Jamie, glad it's not just my heart who's broken. Smoke, sweat, broken. and shit. King's Landing is short. <laughs> if you have a good nose, you can smell the treachery too. It's quite a combo. Smoke, sweat, and shit. Uh, Brienne of Tarth uh, took a break from her duties in the tower cell to write us an own. She says, "Ag um, owns." They go to Jamie and Cersei for freaky incest, churchy period sex. <laughs> That's the first in any book I've read, and probably the last. <laughs> I hope. Gary Manis also adds, own to Jamie for putting Loras in his place with the threat of shoving his sword someplace Renly never found. Hashtag Lord Commander is back. How can you be so sure, Gary? Or Jamie. Well, you're a week late, pal, but why not? Zen Timberwolf. My own, of course, goes to Garland Tyrell for being a Zen-ass dude. He was a breath of fresh air in such a tense atmosphere. He was a breath of fresh air in such a tense atmosphere. So Garland, you know what? Let's just, yeah, you deserve it again. Two weeks in a row, pal. Yeah, not too bad. Over on Facebook, we heard from Jeff Tuttle for the Sansa chapter. Always keep your foes confused. If they're never certain who you are or what you want, they cannot know what you're like to do next. Mm. Littlefinger owns Sansa with his speech at the end of the chapter. He explains to her how he operates the Game of Thrones by not giving details to anyone about his plans, including her, even when she's right in the middle of them. And for Jamie. If the father above came down to offer him back his son or his hand, Jamie knew which one he would choose. We get several little insights to Jamie's reaction to Joffrey's death, something we didn't get much of in the show. Joffrey had three father figures in his life, Robert, Jamie, and Tywin, with none of them wanting anything to do with him. Reese Palazzolo, yet again, Sansa. My own for the Sansa chapter goes to Littlefinger for being the one that organized the jousting dwarfs at Joffrey's wedding. Sharp. Also, for comparing the king to a horse. You can lead a king to water, but with Joff, <laughs> case one has to splash it about before he realizes he could drink it. That's, a, that's very poetic. Reese goes on. My own goes to Jamie for how quickly he got Cersei to change from no, no, no to yes, yes, yes. Hashtag you sly dog. Hashtag P-I-M-I-P. Hmm. That's a new one. And Christina V. Klein writes in, The Kettle Blacks get my own in the Sansa chapter because apparently, even though we've barely heard of them thus far, they're playing all the sides and staying mostly under the radar. And to Brienne in the Jamie chapter for having delivered the final blow, or bite as the case <laughs> may be, to Vargo Hote. Good riddance. Mm-hmm. Good riddance. Justice, we may think. Justice. Yes. How do you feel? You can also email us, which uh, Susan Stacy did earlier in the show, at contact at gameofowns.com. And, of course, uh, the normal ways, which you just heard about, are on Twitter, 
at Game of Owns and Facebook, facebook.com slash Game of Owns. Write us a note. Be sure to scrawl up on our wall. A big thanks to those of you who are on board during the off season. It's just a good old time reading through the books together, even though this might not be an episode you're listening to at this current moment. Person listening to this episode, you could have used the new website mm. and uh, have this be part of your reading years from now. And if so, there's no way you can send Owens for next week's episode. But if you're in the here and now, you really only have one chance, and that's upon our call to Owens for next week's episode. Uh, after that, yep. it's over. Join us. We're going to be uh, joining two of our great friends and two people who I like to think are good friends, Davos and John. Yeah. Oh, boy. Anytime you get that uh, Onion Night, you know there's going to be some good Owens in those chapters. So uh, definitely send yeah. them our way. Uh, one other thing you can do for us is head on over to iTunes. I feel like it's been a while since we mentioned this, but uh, it is the month of September. So over on iTunes, that means nothing less than five stars is acceptable when you rate and review the show. Uh, we do appreciate you going over there and leaving us your feedback. And uh, we'll be sure to share a few of them uh, in the coming weeks because we do always enjoy reading your reviews on the show. If you love the podcast, consider supporting us on Patreon. It helps create a world in which the upcoming events in New York City are possible. That's true. It's very true. Our adventure continues, guys, um, both on Patreon in the form of chapters and in, in terms of live podcasts, of course. Uh, you know, Just recently, we had the David J. Peterson live at KikiCon, and now going into New York Comic Con with chapter discussions between now and then and after. It's a wonderful time to be making this show with you all. So much to look forward to, New York Comic Con, but also uh, our new website. Definitely leave us your feedback. Let us know what you think. Definitely keep those owns coming in uh, for both Davos and John. We look forward to reading through both of those chapters with you next week. And let us know what you'd like to see in the classic section oh, yeah. of the website. What are some of your favorite episodes yeah. of the show over the years? We need help filling that out. All right. Guys, we're getting closer and closer to the end of this Storm of Swords. What will lie beyond and beyond our 300th episode? Do you know? Just remember, Zach, anytime you have a Storm of Swords, there will be a feast for crows. <laughs> <laughs>